Welcome back to the Canine Performance Podcast with your hosts, Natalie and Matt, and also joined by our favorite little critter, Atlas. And by critter, I mean big hairy dog. So today, what are we talking about, Natalie? We are going to be discussing clear communication and why I have included this in my five pillars of dog training, the importance of it what it means, and how to implement it into your own lives with training your own dogs. So we're going to hop right on into it to give you... Before a, we hop in, oh, not to interrupt, but to interrupt. I was going to recap our other podcast episodes. Yeah, recap those other podcast episodes. So to recap some of our other podcast episodes that we have already discussed, we have discussed the importance of timing and how that is an art form. We have discussed motivation, why it is critical um, to your dog, how to increase uh, motivation, and then also we discussed consistency as well. So we are on the fourth pillar, which is going to be clear communication. And so this, in my opinion, is where a lot of behavioral issues come from. And um, the reason is because dogs require such a different way of communication. They require it in ways that they need to understand. um, And it's not most of the time common sense to dog owners, um, to just humans in general. And so... One of the different things that we need to realize is that dogs don't understand English at all. Um, They only understand certain words and phrases because they have either intentionally or unintentionally been given value. And so when you say, do you want to go on a walk? Something of value happens directly afterwards. You get the leash, you put on your shoes, you head towards the door. They know that something significant is going to happen. The doorbell is such a huge trigger because there is never a time that the doorbell rings and there's not a human on the other side of that. And so humans, when we try to talk to our dogs and give them commands, if we haven't set up a clear communication system and given value to certain words, then it's going to blend in with everything else that we're saying in a day. We talk to our dogs, around our dogs, at our dogs all the time. So Obviously, we need to create a system to do that. And so most popularly used um, is going to be marker or clicker training, classical conditioning, respondent conditioning, or Pavlovian conditioning. All those different words are going to be used when people are talking about creating a communication system with your dog. And this is where we give value to certain words by offering a reward or a correction when a behavior is completed or not completed Therefore, it's going to be conditioning the dog to understand what certain words mean. And for me, I was very interested in this uh, because the origin of classical conditioning or Pavlovian conditioning comes from the scientist uh, Ivan Pavlov in 1897. He was a Russian physiologist and he was observing digestive uh, behaviors in dogs. And so he noticed that when he rang a bell and then he fed the dogs, when the bell rang, the dogs would start to drool. However, if he would ring the bell and feed the dogs at the same time, then there would be no response. If he fed the dogs and then rang the bell, there would also be no response. And so what he found is that there needs to be something of significance that happens before, or there needs to be a sound or emotion that happens before the item of significance occurs. So saying the word sit 
before offering a reward or having or just like in his experiment having the bell being rung before the food being delivered to them if that makes sense um and so when we're teaching our dogs um, a lot of the behaviors that we teach them like for example if we're teaching our dogs to sit they don't inherently sit because it feels good to them it's not something that they just go around and be like ah yes i'm going to sit because this feels fantastic they sit because they know that they're going to receive a motivational reward if they do that when we ask them to um so for classical conditioning it's typically going to be positive reinforcement um and we can do or let me backtrack a little bit for classical conditioning goes for positive reinforcement the same must be done for corrections or negative reinforcement as well um so a three different words that I always teach the dogs that I train is going to be yes, good, and no. So yes, being that the behavior is done correctly. Sometimes this is called the terminal marker. Good is going to be continue to doing that behavior. It's going to be our continuation marker. And then no is going to be a behavior that is done incorrectly. So it's really important for us uh, to teach our dogs to know what each of these words mean, because without them, we can't teach the dog right from wrong. And so when we see behavior issues in dogs, one of the things that I like to ask owners is, okay, how have you taught the dog to understand that they have done something correctly? But more importantly, how have you taught the dog that they have done something incorrectly or have done inappropriate behavior? So while yes and good typically warrant a positive motivational reward, it's equally important that no has some sort of value and significance to the dog as well. What that value is and the significance of how it's taught to the dog, it depends on the dog and also your preferred style of training. So I'm going to just stop right there um, just for a second, kind of open it up to discussion really fast, just because this one is kind of a longer section when it comes to the pillars of dog training. Yeah, I think one of the things that I hear you say a lot um, kind of revolves around the idea of being fair to the dog. And it's not something that um, before, obviously, we did this as a business that I really thought of because our dogs are trained and they listen really well. But it's something that I don't think that I put a lot of value or thought into um, as far as being fair or understanding what it even meant to treat the dog fairly. So maybe give an explanation of why that's important and, you know, how people can critically think about how to, um, be, be caring towards their dogs. Yeah, definitely. I guess. Um, and the reason that I say being fair to your dog a lot, whenever I am teaching clients doing go home lessons, everything else like that is, um, it's a new wave of dog training. I feel like, um, being a more, a true balanced trainer. Um, so being fair to your dog, what that means is, for example, I don't introduce corrections to dogs until they fully understand a behavior. Um, it's not fair that we would correct a dog for behavior that they don't know. I think that that creates a lot of stress. It creates a lot of anxiety and it will get you a really shut down dog. Um, and what that means is just that a dog that is really scared to make any actions at all. It would almost be kind of like going to work and you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing at all, but then you would get punished at random times and you're like, well, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing in the first place. So being fair to them in that way, 
being fair to them in if you're going to be asking for calm behavior, you need to be fair that you drain all of the pent up energy, you mentally stimulate them in all the different ways that they need to be mentally and physically stimulated. So being fair in those options as well. Yeah, I think sometimes um, as owners, especially after you've had your dog for two, three, four, seven years, um, you can tend to forget sometimes that your dog is a living, breathing creature, pretty much in my opinion, obviously we don't have baby, but I imagine it would be the like next highest level of possible responsibility, especially a bigger breed. And I think that sometimes we can become passive owners and um, stop, remember, kind of like forget how like needy our dogs really are and how important it is to not treat them like a robot or expect the same, you know, behavior or activity from them every single day. Like it's, it's robotic, you know, like, Oh yeah. I think people can tend to forget that sometimes. Um, oh, absolutely. Their dog I'm, and being clear in their communication. Yeah. I think that's such an excellent, excellent point that you just brought up here that a lot of us forget that dogs have so many emotions too. They have days or months of angst. They have anxiety. They have stress. They have good days. They have bad days. You know, it's all these different things and we can't expect consistent behavior out of them because so much of their behavior is also contingent on us. But even regardless of us, if you take us out of the picture, um, our dogs have so many emotions. They're very complex creatures. Um, they're so different from ourselves. And when we forget that, we do them a true injustice and we're not being fair to them. So that's a really excellent point that you brought up. Yeah, don't, don't do a disservice to your dog. Except for you, Atlas, down there. You should behave all the time. <laughs> Except for Atlas. Well, <clears throat> to move on to the next part, um, this is where I want to start adding in some more clarity when it comes to corrections and corrections are a very important and critical part of training your dog. And it can be something I'm very hesitant to discuss because there is so much misinformation and ambiguity when it comes to this topic, but it is, um, one of the most misleading factors and there's a lot of limited knowledge out there about something called operant conditioning. And so operant conditioning has four different quadrants. Technically it has five. The fifth one isn't talked about frequently. I'm going to primarily stick to four of them. And, um, what operant conditioning is, is, Think of it in ways of math. It's not something that's good and something that's bad, but it's that you are adding or you are subtracting from an equation. Um, it's also the exact same way that humans learn as well is through operant conditioning. Um, and so for the four different quadrants that it comes down to, there is positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment and negative punishment. And so in the uh, positive quadrants, you are going to be adding something. Remember, we're thinking about this in terms of math. In the negative quadrants, we are going to be removing something. In the reinforcement quadrants, we are going to be making sure that the particular behavior is more likely to occur in the future. And for the punishment quadrants, we are making sure that a particular behavior is less likely 
to occur in the future. So I'm going to give some examples to better understand operant conditioning. For positive reinforcement, this is the one that most of us are most familiar with and what quote unquote pure positive trainers uh, say that they only operate under. So that would look like if you tell your dog to sit, they sit, you give a reward. It's positive because you are adding something to the equation. You're giving it a reward. Reinforcement, your dog likes the reward and therefore will offer that behavior more often in the future. Negative reinforcement, you say sit and at the same time you apply leash pressure, your dog sits and you remove the leash pressure. This is negative reinforcement. Negative, you're removing the leash pressure. Reinforcement, the dog learns he can turn off leash pressure by sitting and in the future will therefore be more likely to offer that behavior in the future. Positive punishment, you say sit and your dog disobeys, so you apply a leash correction. Positive, because you are adding a leash correction. Punishment, the leash correction is, and therefore the dog is less likely to disobey in the future. Negative punishment, you say sit, he doesn't sit, and therefore you do not give him a reward. Negative, you are taking away the reward. Punishment, the dog does not get a reward and will therefore will be less likely to disobey in the future. If you were paying close attention to how I was giving examples to each of those quadrants of operant conditioning, you can see that if we were to not think about operant conditioning in the way of math of adding and subtracting, that we would see things such as positive punishment of a good thing. You would say, oh, I would want to positively punish my dog. However, positive punishment is more of a physical correction. You say sit your dog disobeys, you apply a leash correction. Positive adding leash punishment, the dog is less likely to disobey in the future. So it's really important that we take out the human emotion when it comes to dog training, um, especially when it comes to operant conditioning, because just by saying positive punishment, it seems like something more people would be uh, more open to, but of all the different forms of operant conditioning, it's the one that is... Um, physical, I guess you could say. Um, whereas in negative punishment, it sounds really bad, but it is simply just withholding a reward. Understood. And, and I think that's really important too, because, um, it's very easy to be a, a very emotional about your pet, you know? Um, so it's very easy to be emotional about your pet. And it's a lot of the reason why people don't, um, consistently train their dog or train their dog, you know, to the standard that, is actually going to yield a result. And so um, I think mindset is a huge component of training and having that clear communication. It's going with the mindset that you are practicing. You know, it's the same way if you put your cleats on, you put your, you know, you put your pads on, you get dressed for the game, like you're getting in the right mindset to go on the field and actually do your best versus literally just walking out on the field and, and getting wrecked. Um, so there's a big difference in having that mindset allows you to go into a training session um, with the intention of having clear communication and being deliberate in all of these uh, different things that, that we've been discussing, not only in this podcast, but really in all of the um, five pillars of dog training. So yes. um, finish us off. I mean, what, what else is, yeah. what else do we need to cover inside of clear communication for, for a clear understanding of this? Awesome. Um, and so what I want to cover is that um, we have a very strong hesitancy to try and st 
stay away from any forms of correction in dog training. And something that I want to briefly touch on is when it comes to pure positive training. A lot of my training, I want to say around 90% of it, maybe even like 93 to 95% of it is a lot of positive training. I'm not going to say pure positive training and I'm going to explain why. So with pure positive training, it simply just means that you are going to be adding something to the equation um, and you're going to be reinforcing that. And by simply doing something as attaching a leash to a dog um, and giving leash guidance, it is adding a punisher to the dog. It's not a dog doing something of his own free volition. Um, Also withholding a reward is a form of punishment. And so it's really, really important. And I can't stress this enough for any dog owners out there um, that you just, you can't avoid corrections when it comes to training. They're a normal part of learning. And honestly, to simply put it, without a correction, a dog's behavior will not and cannot change. What that looks like, how you condition it, there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of science that can go into it. Um, But now we're starting to get into more of what those corrections look like because so many of us are very familiar with what the positive side of clear communication looks like. Your dog does something good, you give them a pet, you give them a food reward, you throw their toy, whatever it may be. And we don't really ever talk about the other side of corrections because there's so many different ways to handle them at what timing, um, how frequent, um, how often or how, you know, whatever it may be for the correction. And so one of the things that we're going to jump into is pressure which is another reason why pure positive trainers cannot exist because um, there are multiple different types of pressure that happens when we train our dogs. Simply moving forward towards a dog is a form of pressure and is a form of a correction. Having strong eye contact with a dog, assertive eye contact, having a loud voice with a dog, these are all forms of corrections and pressure. So there's three major forms of pressure. So there's resource pressure, and this is what is used in a lot of quote-unquote pure positive training sessions. It's an internal pressure a dog feels to perform in order to receive a reward of high value, food, toys, affection. It's the most common use of pressure. You have a treat, you ask the dog to perform a behavior or command. It creates a pressure on them to perform because they want what you have, When they perform the behavior, they are rewarded with the motivation you were withholding from them to manipulate their behavior. The next is social or spatial pressure. Social-oriented animals, humans are also included in this, use this as a form of communication, but also in dominance rituals as well. So every animal is going to have different size personal space bubbles. And so dogs that are socially well-adjusted, they have very small bubbles and are easily invite dogs, humans, everything else into their bubbles. However, dogs that are shy, timid, or nervous have very large bubbles and they usually preemptively ward off anything coming towards their bubble. So in training, like I had already mentioned, we can use direct and constant eye contact for um, body movement that's assertive, a loud and a stern voice. 
Finally, we have physical pressure. So physical pressure to, to perform due to a stimulus or guidance from a leash, e-collar, hands, regular collar, anything that is physical. So what I have to say about physical pressure is that there is a time and a place for physical pressure and should primarily be used by those who are experienced with using physical pressure. Um, sometimes this can be referred to as escape and avoidance training. So for example, um, when a dog learns how to shut off pressure. So when you tell your dog to sit and you hold the leash upwards, creating an uncomfortable physical pressure, once the dog complies, then you turn off the leash pressure. So pressure, it honestly, it varies hugely dog to dog dogs of soft temperament, a firm voice correction, voice pressure saying no will be enough. And for other dogs of harder temperament and more firm correction will be needed to be used. Um, and it's up to you of your training style, how the dog responds of what to do. And so unintentionally throughout our days with our dogs, we use different types of corrections in our daily interactions with our dogs. So just think about how many times you've had to yell at your dog to not get into something to make them stop. Puni positive punishment. Um, not praising or petting your dog because they started to misbehave. Negative punishment. When you're out on a walk and your dog is pulling, so you stop walking until he turns around to see what the holdup is. Negative reinforcement. There's a thousand of examples that I could dive into of how we unintentionally train our dogs with corrections within our daily lives, but it's a normal part of learning. Um, and so understanding corrections is how we can create clear communication, not just on the positive side, but also on the correctional side as well to change or to create new behaviors. Awesome. Well, I think that was a great broad overview of, of clear communication as a whole. And if anyone out there is listening to this, if you search canine performance on YouTube or Natalie Dobkins on YouTube, you'll find our video library where you can learn a little bit more about uh, how to practice clear communication. There's a lot of different instructional videos on there. I know someone had asked that in the Instagram live. Um, now to jump right into the next segment of the live podcast series that we're doing, um, the balanced canine underscore asks, what brand of e-collar do you recommend? Are there any videos you recommend or have yourself that show you how to properly use? Well, I think we addressed that first one or the second part of that question. There is, if you look up the YouTube channel, uh, you can also go to our website, canineperformancecoach.com and all the videos are in the underneath the training library section of the website. Um, but Natalie, would you like to, to answer the first part of that question? You know, what kind of, what brand of e-collar do we use and recommend? Yes. I only use uh, Mini Educator the, from e-collar technologies. I have found that they are the most reliable, but also they're most, the most consistent as well. I feel like with the other sorts of training collars, the stimulation isn't quite exactly the same. And also um, just how consistent the stimulation is. So for example, if you have it on a level 10, it's going to feel the same always. Whereas in, I feel like with other collars that I've used, um, when you sometimes put on a level 10, you're like, ah, oh, that's a little high or it's a little low. It's not always consistently at the same level of stimulation. Um, and then to just expand on your question a little bit more, um, while I do have some videos on how, um, on how to use an e-collar, um, I have really yet to find any other informational videos 
that I felt like I could really learn how to properly use an e-collar. The only way that I've learned it is by training hundreds of dogs and, you know, putting all these different things I've learned, implementing them into my own training. Yeah. And honestly, I think in my personal experience, it's just one of those things that the more you practice it, the more you understand the nuances and the cadence of whatever, whether you do use e-collar technologies or any other brand, you know, there's certain nuances and there's a cadence to using an e-collar when you're training, just like any other tool and any other kind of training. You go to the gym, you're not going to be great at every machine the first day you go in, but if you go and you do that machine twice a week for a whole year, you're going to be a lot damn better at it. So (laughs) um, that's kind of the approach towards e-collar training. Now, I know Kirama the Husky asks, do you recommend starting training with an e-collar or is it not necessary to use until other methods don't work? That's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. It's a great question. And I like that a lot because it, well, it comes down to a lot of different things. It comes down to your personal preference of how you want to train your dog. It depends on the types of behaviors that you're wanting to change. Um, And also, well, yeah, it's, it's primarily those two things. I believe that you should train your dog as much as possible before layering in an e-collar. It's the exact same way that I structure all of my board and trains. All of their behaviors are created through positive reinforcement with their food. And then only then do I make the behavior more reliable and closer to that 100% reliability through an e-collar. So think of the e-collar as an enhancement to a foundation that you've already built. So it shouldn't be the staple. It shouldn't be the first choice, um, but it's it's an enhancement. So it's the icing on top. It's the sprinkles. It's the hot fudge. Um, but those things only taste good if you've got a lot of vanilla ice cream underneath them. You have nothing there. Then you're just eating sugar and more sugar in different forms. That was so, a really great analogy. You know. I, I really um, love that. I think that. with that, uh, I think we I think, had another one. Do we have another question? Oh. Conditioner, I use Redkin. I love it. Wonderful. Um, but we had, how do you teach no in a positive way? And I really wanted uh, to get to that. That's a great question. Teaching no in a positive way. Um, it's really important that you can actually do this with your dog. And the way that I do that is by... At first, I do it by withholding their motivational reward. So when I'm first training my board and trains and I feed all of their food by hand, they never eat out of a food bowl. And um, so they're hungry and they're working for their food and it's a training opportunity for them. And so when they are performing these behaviors, if they do something that I don't want them to do, I simply say no and... I simply say no, and they do not get their food reward. They don't get a portion of their breakfast, and they really want that. And so they're going to pay more attention to me. And now suddenly, no has value to that. Then, as that behavior starts to get more established, I start adding in leash pressure, spatial pressure, all these different things. So if they are sitting and I'm starting to work on distance and duration and they break that sit, I say no. And I start to walk towards them, creating that spatial pressure. And I said no in a loud and firm and clear voice. If I'm using a leash, I would say no. And I would give a leash correction. I do all of these different things first, just like he was saying, I'm having all of that. Would you say vanilla ice cream? 
Vanilla ice cream. Yeah. I'm creating all of that vanilla ice cream. And then, and only then, once I have a lot of vanilla ice cream, do I add the sprinkles on top and I layer in um, the e-collar. But doing all of that positively first um, and showing no in a multitude of ways. Very nice. So the follow-up question to that is, do they eventually get the food? Do you just want to give them the food or is that portion entirely removed from their food allowance? Oh, no. They still they still get it. It's just like, for example, if they have a cup of food and we're doing obedience drills and I tell them to sit and they don't sit, I say no. And then I wait for them and I give the command again and they sit and then I give them a food. Awesome. Well, we have another question from Ozzy Fuentes. I hope I said that right and I probably didn't. Ozzy Fuentes 06. What can I do when my dog is easily distracted by scent when I walk her? She pulls a lot unless I walk her in the street or she gets tired. Yep. So that would be clear communication through the leash. You need to communicate through the leash. And this is a more advanced topic that I can actually really cover in a live stream video. And it would be something that would be pretty visual. But you need to tell her by simply not allowing her to sniff. When I'm first teaching a loose leash walk, I have the leash in a, I have the leash on the dog in a way that has clear communication. So it's up nice and high behind the ears. And anytime that they want to go too far in front, off to the left, behind me, they want to sniff the ground. I'm doing a lot of communication through the leash. I say no. And I just, I don't let them do the things that they want to do. You want to go over there and go pee on something? I just say no, and I just don't let you go pee on that. You want to sniff that? I just say no. I don't let you sniff that. So just simply not letting them get distracted by all those different things because I see that all the time with owners of they're walking their dog and they think that they're outside for a long time, and you might be outside for like 20 minutes, but you maybe went like a quarter of a mile because your dog is so easily distracted by everything that you walk a little bit and then you get yanked because your dog is like, oh, got to go sniff this over here. You walk five steps again. Oh, got to go sniff that over there. Walk another five steps. Got to go pee over here. So just simply not letting them get distracted. Remember, a walk is your walk. You get to choose what we sniff, what we're going to pee on, other dogs, if we're going to greet them, all of these different things. And so they are just following you during the walk. It's all about having control and taking control over your dog in a kind and caring, loving, and clearly communicated way. In a fair way. And on the notion of taking control, I'm going to take control of this podcast because I'm ready to go get my own vanilla ice cream. We haven't eaten yet. And sprinkles. So with all that being said, thank you everyone that joined us in the live stream, both here on Instagram and on Facebook. We appreciate you all watching and tuning in with us on this fine Monday evening. And if you'd like to find us on Instagram, it's just at canine underscore performance or on the web at www.canineperformancecoach.com. This is Matt Hubble signing off. Thank you.